Hello, and welcome to the New Digital Age PMU podcast. My name's Maura Cutterford-Jones. I'm a business journalist and editor. These podcasts are a series of short interviews with the amazing people who take part in the Practice Makes Unperfect course in association with Amy Keane, a course that helps people find and finesse their public voices. Hi, Angela, and welcome to the NDA PMU podcast. First of all, before we launch into today's topic, how about you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you work, a bit about your past experience. Hi, Morag. It's lovely to chat to you today. Thanks for having me. So I am a sustainability advisor, a freelance sustainability advisor, so a gun for hire. Um, I uh, My background is a little bit different from that, though. So I uh, my last role was at Marie Claire. I was publishing director there for the last kind of eight years, and it was um, an amazing brand to work for, purpose-driven. For the latter part of my time there, I was responsible for really changing the um, the positioning um, on Marie Claire to move from being sort of a fashion and beauty brand to being a brand that was known for sustainability. Um, we weren't getting under the bonnet and sort of, you know, kind of counting our carbon footprint, but we were looking to... Um, it was about revenue acquisition, but where was the consumer? Where is kind of the, the market, the zeitgeist? And how do you bring those two together to, to essentially, you know, lead in that space? And so we launched a number of different platforms, everything from the Sustainability Awards, Sustainability Channel. There was a festival. Um, there was a, a, a pre-loved uh, fashion aggregator. Uh, so many, many things which really kind of positioned us as that as that sustainability lead. And that for me, was a really defining moment as to, I can't live at Marie Claire forever. I need to go elsewhere and sort of make my mark. But actually, sustainability was a a real calling sounds a bit sort of um, naff. But yeah, it feels like a really important place to play. And when you've also worked on a brand like Marie Claire, which is, you know, it literally is about kind of changing the lives of women and championing women, then it's very difficult to step away from cause-related um, issues or cause-related um, sort of ideology. So that's why I'm sort of, yeah, trying to major in pers- and sustainability and purpose today. Fantastic. I mean, it's so fascinating. I absolutely agree. Marie Claire was definitely one of those foundational magazines, which fashion is important, beauty is important, self-esteem is important, but it became so much more yeah. than that. And also it sounds like it really was. I mean, when we're talking about circular economy for fashion and, you know, pre-loved items, it sounds like it was really so ahead of its time. We're talking about that being innovative now, but that was, that was a while back. So yeah. it, it makes absolute sense that the title of today's podcast is Sustainability, Fast Fashion and the Female Psyche, yeah. um, which sounds absolutely fascinating. So the first thing I want to know is right now, we are stuck in this energy crisis and cost of living fandango. Um, and on the other hand, we have fast fashion, cheap, but we know its destructive impact on the environment. So those cash strapped, crisis fatigue, Gen Z female customers looking for a, a hit of luxury, looking for something in the darkness. Um, is that energy crisis, is this cost of living going to destroy all that great work, all that sustainability? Are we just going to go back to, nope, I need my polyester hit and hang the penguins? Yeah, I think 
sadly, I think there is potential to do that. There is um, a phrase which I'm sure you've heard of, which is called the lipstick effect. And it was coined by Leonard Lauder, the son of Estee Lauder, back in, I think, 2001. And it was to sort of almost explain why even through cash-strapped downturn economic crisis that people still will look to spend on the small luxuries. And I guess the reality is that the lipstick is, you know, an Estee Lauder lipstick is about 28 quid. And, you know, if you think about fast fashion, you could fill your basket with a number of different polyester um, fossil fuel fueled goodies um, for 28 quid. So I think that there's a a real shift in. And also, if you think about um, in 2001 versus 2022, um, you know, social media um, wasn't wasn't prevalent at all and therefore that need to kind of and and essentially it's I think this is definitely fueled by social media amongst other things but there isn't that need to kind of you know demonstrate you're living your best life you know because you know there is um yeah there's a need to just show that you know sort of regardless of what's happening around us regardless of the pressures that life brings to us and don't forget we're talking about you know a cash strapped consumer who is dealing with you know everything you've just said you know the um the 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 um the war in ukraine the the impact on her um you know the cost to her from her, her pocket what she has to spend but there's all the other stuff that as a woman that she's dealing with too so you know it's a pretty weighty responsibility i think being a young woman right now and saving the planet and i think it just you know the the need to yes yeah, satisfy that um that uh, ego or or just be in the game and just kind of you know look like you're living your best life I think is is too high a calling that sustainability I think will get pushed to the wayside and I think we will see that fast fashion brands will thrive and survive ever more so through this crisis. It's fascinating isn't it because I do wonder I mean you mentioned sort of 2001 versus 2021/22 there is the difference in how much we want to be living our best lives and seeing that amount of consumerism. You know, you scroll through Insta and your friends are on Insta, but then every four, you know, squares, whatever they're called, there's a shop now. And it's a beautifully yes. curated, it's not a basic ad, it's a sh- it's a beautifully curated lifestyle ad. And I click on them all the time and then go, no work, you have no money. Um, so it's that, <laughs> that want is being generated relentlessly. It is. Um, but equally... Whereas in 2001, I wonder if we would have hit shop now with a clear conscience and really not necessarily worried about the penguins or worried about the oil, um, petrochemical process, etc. But maybe now in 21, 22, we are we have more of an eco conscience. Do you think do you think consumers they still click on that 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 lipstick effect? They still click. They still fill, fill their baskets. Is there a certain amount of guilt involved in doing that? There is a, a brilliant, um, uh, what is it? It's it's an, um, a study uh, that I've come across um, and it's called cognitive dissonance. And it's the ability for consumers to almost switch off the discomfort they feel around the fact that they are buying something that they know, you know, is responsible for human rights abuses, is responsible for child labor, is responsible for damaging the planet, even though they know that their cognitive dissonance enables them to switch off that empathy mode and buy regardless. And basically, it's a really, a really interesting study. So in 1957, um, a guy called Leon Fastinger um, came up with the idea um, and or the concept. And basically, we don't like feeling uncomfortable about choices. 
So what we then do is we sort of almost sort of mitigate those choices. So we start to say things like, oh, well, it's only one purchase or we start to um, trivialize and we say, oh, I, you know, it's not really as bad as the headlines say. Um, there's a number of different processes that we go through, which enable us to ultimately press that button without worrying about it. Um, really, really interesting study. And I'm just getting my head around it, but it's kind of feels like it's opened up a whole kind of um it's almost, you know, if we're going to solve fast fashion, we almost have to solve that first before we can deal with the kind of problem of, you know, Shein producing, you know, sort of billions and billions of of kind of items. And then the other challenge you mentioned, social media, you know, even in the last couple of years, say since TikTok came to the to, to kind of the West, you know, their ability to kind of, um, they call it about the closed loop um, of, of shopping. So you never have to leave, you know, TikTok site in order to shop. And what you then do is the closed loop is where you buy and then you then become the advocate and the influencer yourself for your network. So it just grows and grows and grows. And, you know, there are some, you know, let's just take Xion for an example. They, um, you know, their business is reliant. Um, it's, it's basically a software business um, rather than a manufacturing business, but they rely on influencers. And, you know, there's about 6,000 influencers within their network. And um, one of them, and her name escapes me, forgive me, but she's, um, she's She's a major star. I think she's the biggest, one of the four biggest TikTokers, something like an 89 million reach. And she's a Shein um, uh, uh, influencer. So, you know, anything she says reaches, you know, vast swathes of young women who kind of want to be like Shein. And then you look at the stats around TikTok and how it motivates a purchase. You know, people talking about, uh, we've all done it, haven't we? The TikTok video where you start with one and an hour later you resurface. Um, there is the, the the stats around people who have bought for the first time without, or not for the first time, but without intending to have bought on the back of kind of TikTok videoing. So social media itself is now turbocharged. Um, and yeah, I, I don't I don't see how we come back from this really until we get to the root of the problem, which is, I guess, the sort of social issues that we um, are faced as women. It's it's interesting, isn't it? And that, you know, it's it sounds like it's, you've heard of, you know, a death by a thousand cuts. I wonder if there's a such thing as success by a thousand cuts in that there is no one angle that no. is going to be successful. You can't stop Shin producing mass-produced goods because why would they um it's perfectly legal it's allowed they can do what they like um you can't equally stop 89 million people being influenced by an influencer and wanting to buy it but you can chip away um, yes. i imagine I, I i don't know I'm, I'm kind of hoping you can and it seems like a very frustratingly long-term thing but i mean do you, can you can you sort of imagine any sort of one of those thousand cuts in terms of helping with that cognitive dissonance and saying, you know, you want to be a good person, not saying you're a bad person for buying fashion, but you want to be an even better person. So here is the really fast, fast fashion. And here is a slightly better fast fashion, or here is something that will make you look good by, by buying it so that we don't deprive people. We don't deal with a negative. Yeah. But we sort of, there's so much said about this nudge stuff, isn't there? Yes. Nudge them into a better way. I mean, I don't know, is it, is it just fiddling around on the edges? It feels a little bit, doesn't it? And nudging always feels like it's a, a very long-winded approach, doesn't it, that we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, and I think ultimately um, there is obviously legis legislation which has been lacking, which is coming through at the moment. So um, in Europe there's the extended um 
extended producer, I can't think of the name of it, EPR, um, which will have an impact. Um, and it is down to the producer then to um, essentially they'll be funding the, the cost of recycling and collecting clothing. Uh, there was that legislation was proposed in the UK two years ago, but was denied by this government. Uh, we would have raised about 35 million in order to kind of help with that process. Um, in the US, New York State, um, the Fashion, pa- Fashion Act um, will mean that anyone trading over a certain value in New York State will have to prove their credentials both environmentally and socially. And if they fail, then they will be hit with a, a 2% tax, basically. And, and as an example of the sort of impact of that monetary impact is um, uh, leave, uh, sorry, um, Nike. It will cost Nike about $1 billion for the sort of indiscretions they're, they're committing in their supply chain. But I think the other challenge with that is that no one really agrees on the measurements. And I think that there's still some real questions around how fashion measures its impact and not just the impact around extraction and manufacturing, but actually, so that, that is measured, although there's still a question over the validity of that. The question is around the consumer and once you've bought that item, what you then do with it. So Shein, for instance, are responsible for their impact of extraction and manufacturing. But once they hand over that $12 dress, then it's no longer their concern. But somebody who's buying 100 of those $12 dresses, that's 100 lots of impacts that aren't being calculated. So again, it's it's a it's a huge problem. It feels almost insurmountable sometimes. Um, but thank God there are some amazing, smart people who are trying to get to the, the bottom of it. So yeah, we hope for progress. Fingers crossed. I mean, it does sound like um, legislations that those those sound very similar to, I mean, we, we can compare legislations that are not in the same sector. Sounds like GDPR, where, you know, they never thought that big companies would get whacked with massive fines. And I think it was Amazon got 700 and something million euros for misusing data. Yeah. Um, wow. And you, you can say, oh, well, Amazon's so big, what, 700 million euros to them? Well, if you do it more than once, it becomes quite an issue. And also then the message it sends to kind of the wider yeah. market, the other yeah. players that might also be dabbling with, with people's data. Misusing. I think it's interesting. We started out this conversation talking about how does this impact the female psyche and, and how do we deal with the fact that so, so much you know negativity, we feel the need for the boost. And we shouldn't really be demonising people for Definitely. for wanting a mental boost and consumerism as long as it's not rampant is is part of that yes um but i think i feel like we've come full circle and gone do you know what it is incumbent on all of us to do our bit where we can but the root of the issue starts with the big companies and it starts with regulation and we shouldn't be beating ourselves up over much about it i agree i think the, the sort of um the sustainable development goals goal 12 is responsible I can't remember this consumption and production or the other way around but actually consumption does drive production doesn't it you know if you think about the sheer model where actually they they you know they make something in small numbers and then they kind of ramp it up if there's a if it's trending um so if you almost do then so I think you have to deal with lots of things at the same time but if you can somehow you can't you you need to legislate against those those big companies and they need to be accountable for their impact on the environment but equally we need to try and understand what's driving the consumption 
and see how we can almost deal with with those issues. And I and I honestly don't know what the answer to that is because yeah. again, there are so many so many triggers um, that drive that consumption. It's so complicated, and I think you know the best we can say is you know be your best self as an individual, and then register. I mean, we there's so many legislations that that have been put in place to protect protect us from our worst selves. Yes. Don't smoke in public places, don't smoke in bars, don't smoke. And smoking has tanked. Absolutely. And you will have had from a massively lucrative, massively strong lobbying sector, all the pressures possible. And it's an addiction. Yes. Shopping's an addiction, but but smoking really is addictive. And they slammed down the doors on it. They said, we don't care that you're addicted and it's giving you the jitters. You either don't go to the pub and smoke at home or you go to the pub and don't smoke. Yes. And it and it stopped. Um, so it's things like that where you think at the outset, you feel, oh, my God, that's draconian. What this company now can't sell or or it can only sell 150 units maximum per outlet of any item, because otherwise it becomes, you know, just a mass deluge of stuff. I don't know. I'm, clearly, I'm not in charge of legislation. <laughs> But I think you you do have a point, actually, um, and the smoking analogy is quite interesting. But I think that if you, I think you start, don't you, with the, the cost of something. So, you know, it, I think they always use this sort of the five pound T-shirt as the analogy, don't they? So, you know, to create that five pound T-shirt, you know, the the kind of cotton resources, the farmers, the, the factories that manufactured it, the woman that was paid to manufacture it, the shipping costs, everything involved. How can a t-shirt be? What was the impact? And so actually if that, if the true cost of that t-shirt was was added to the price tag and say that then becomes 40 pounds, then actually that you then have the, the sort of almost the money to equitably manage perhaps that supply chain and reduce the abuses and, you know, pay people fairly. Um, And your point about um, almost the sort of health impact, you know, there's fashion has a massive health impact, but I think because it's not on our doorstep, you know, we're not seeing those, you know, oceans filled with, with waste and, you know, great big stinking piles of, of, of fashion waste. And we're not, it's not burning on our doorsteps and therefore, you know, sort of, you know, choking the air we breathe. So, because it's not our problem, it's, you know, someone else's problem in sub-Saharan Africa, then, you know, we're not, we're not prepared to legislate against it. Yeah, it's bad. It sounds like we've outsourced our uh, conscience, but. Yes, indeed it does. (laughs) Oh my goodness. This has been the most fascinating chat, Angela. I have loved every minute of it. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas and so much knowledge there. I think um, anyone listening to this, while it's concerning about thinking, God, really, where do we start? There are definitely glimmers, I would say. I think so. Positive steps. Thank you so much, Angela. Morag, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Take care.